If you have your Bible with you this morning, or if you need one, feel free to grab one and keep one from the back. We are headed to the New Testament book of Acts, and Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. As we are nearing the end of our series, we are in week five of six weeks, if you are just joining us, going through our six values, our core values as a church. And so we began five weeks ago with proclaiming grace. And then we moved to praying dependently. We looked at living sacrificially. Last week, we looked at renewing family. And today, we are going to look at growing community from Acts chapter 2. Growing community. And since both of those words can be taken in a number of different good ways, I, want to, I just want to be clear right off the bat. When I say growing community, what I mean specifically is this, that we're growing Christ-centered, deep relationships within our church, that we are a community of believers together, that we would actually be doing life together, biblical community, and that it would be the type of community where there's always room for one more, so that those who are outside see an easy path to becoming a part of the inside, becoming a part of our church family. So as we look at growing community, we're going to see that from Acts chapter 2 this morning. I was reflecting this week during my sermon study and realized that it was two years ago this week that many of you were with us when we had our very first launch team gatherings out at the park. And what we did during that time two years ago, among other things, uh, was we talked about what our values as a church were going to be. And at that time, we considered this idea of growing community, and we looked at Acts chapter 2. And one of the things that I suggested to you in 2019 was that America is a place of isolation. And what I said to you in 2019 was, if you've ever you know, been in an airport waiting for your, your flight, or even just in a restaurant sitting at the restaurant, or maybe in a doctor's office waiting for your name to be called, what are people inevitably doing? They're looking at their phones. They're on their phones. Because in our culture in particular, we have a few values. They're not necessarily good values, but they're things that we tend towards. One of them is entertainment, and, and one of them is sort of individualism or isolation. And, it, and it's gone to such an extreme that in America today, what we see is many, many lonely people who don't have relationships, who don't have friends, but God has made us in such a way that we obviously need that. And then COVID hit. 2020 and now 2021, and we've experienced through this last 14 months an isolation that most of us have never known before in our lives, and we pray we never will again. But what it has reinforced among many things is the reality is that we need one another and that God has designed us as a people to be together, that we're not supposed to do life with Him or with one another separately but that we do things best when we are together. In fact, as a church, we say that our mission is to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, discipleship by its very nature nature is relationships. It is doing life together around Christ. And this isn't our idea. God gave us that demonstration, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is the three in one. Even in the Trinity, the preexistent Trinity, God made relationship. God did not create relationship. God is relationship from the very beginning. In Genesis 1.26, we are told that. And not only that, but in Genesis 2, God says, it's not good for you, Adam, to be alone. I will make you a helper. Relationship, we need to be together. And then God says in Exodus 6, I will be your God and you will be my people. Relationship with God and together. 
So as we approach Acts chapter 2 this morning, what we're going to do is this. Here in the New Testament now, we're going to see what did the church of Jesus do immediately after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven? What did they do? Well, they got together. What did they do when they got together? That's what Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 is going to tell us. And it's going to give us basically five things that they were committed to when they were together. And then it's going to give us a little bit of a vision of of how amazing that can really be. So let's look now at Acts chapter 2, just reading verses 42 through 47 here this morning. The scripture says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. Let's take a moment and let's pray to this good and loving Savior now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is perfect. God, it is inerrant. We thank you that it is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Father, we pray that you might call us to life afresh through your good word this morning. We thank you for it. Teach us how we ought to live together around you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Five ways this morning that, to quote the scripture, that we can devote ourselves to growing community to growing community, the first we get from the Scripture is this. We must be devoted to teaching with awe of God or with an awe of God. This is the first that we get. And what I'm going to do is I want to show you that list at the beginning and then where um, Luke, the author of Acts, comes back around and describes it. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching is the first on the list. Verse 43 Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. It says that they devoted themselves. Don't miss that key word at the very beginning of this entire conversation. At the very beginning, the Bible says that these are commitments. The word devotion literally means persevering in something. When we commit ourselves to devotion to the Lord or having devotions, there will inevitably be two things going on. There'll be duty and there'll be delight. Meaning there will be days that you kind of just don't want to do it. And there's that duty part that you say, Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. So even though my heart is wandering, I'm going to pursue you. But then there's also the delight part of it. Lord Jesus, you're the best. I need you. We need you. I don't question that. I, I love being with you. And to have devotion towards something involves both. And the first thing that the Bible says is teaching. That the apostles' teaching is what they gathered around. It, asks, or it suggests a very obvious question right off the bat. Well, what sort of things should we be studying or what should we be teaching? Jesus is not unclear. In the Great, Commission's, Great Commission, one of the things that Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is teach them. He's telling the disciples, teach them. Teach all believers to observe all that I have commanded you. So what are we supposed to teach? What are we supposed to learn and study? Everything that Jesus taught That means the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. That means the Gospels. That means the Epistles. That means the book of Revelation. Everything that Jesus has given us. That means theological teaching. That means practical, day-to-day life teaching that is all grounded in the promise of the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say for myself personally, I have learned the most about Scripture and how to apply it to my life when I am with other believers, when I'm with other men and women and we are together, Bibles open, wanting to learn from the Lord and talk about it together. What does this mean and how do I apply it to my life? And I get to learn from you guys when we do that together. Uh, In city groups, this is one of our five commitments or things that we are devoted to because we have this example here in Acts 2 as well as the rest of Scripture that we ought to teach and study the Bible and apply it to our lives together. Most often in our city groups, and that is what we are really focusing in on this morning, most often in our city groups that will be for us to take the sermon scripture that we have looked at and to go deeper with that and consider together how might we apply this to our daily lives. But I want you to notice that along with teaching was this word uh, awe, that as they looked to the Lord that there was the experience of awe. In the Greek, that word is phobos, fear. Oftentimes, that word is translated into English, or sometimes it is translated reverence, but there was an amazement. God's word and God's activity in the earth was causing people to take notice, and there was a reverence or even a level of fear. In Acts 2.37, people were cut to the heart, phobos is the word behind that, by the preached word of God, and it led them to repent. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 5, maybe you know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit took their lives. They died in that moment, and understandably, the believers were filled with phobos, with fear, with reverence for the Lord. The Scripture says that as they experienced God in His Word, that there were wonders and signs that were being performed. Because believers were experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in their midst and the things that are happening throughout Acts are things like many, many people coming to Christ. Like mass conversions, miracles, escapes from danger, people are being healed, resurrections, people are speaking in tongues and the completion of the New Testament that we have that is the completed word of God today. But notice in all of that, that they are not in awe of the man, meaning the apostles. They're not in awe of the man, ultimately. Their awe is for the message. Their awe is for the word of God because their awe is for God himself. And my point here is this. We are not in the business of creating celebrity pastors. Certainly, I cannot accomplish that for you. But it is not about the man. It is about the message of God. And that is always very, very critical that we are following the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and not personalities, and not people. And as we grow together as a community, we are focusing in on the very Word of God. Number two, the Scripture is very clear. We must be devoted to, it says, fellowship. But you're going to notice that we see fellowship with two kinds of sharing that are taking place among the believers. It says, verse 42, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. First, we see the word fellowship. In Greek, it's the word koinonia. It's a fairly popular Greek word. It means fellowship or sometimes can mean even communion, and it shows up 19 times in the New Testament. It means sharing life deeply at every 
level. It means like Galatians 6.2, bearing one another's burdens together. It means friendship. It means fun. It means leaning on one another. It also means honesty and transparency, encouragement, accountability. It means caring for one another when we face various trials or face temptations. When you're struggling in your marriage or you're wrestling with how do I raise my children, that we can do that together. When you're facing health concerns or the loss of a job or you have physical needs, that we can share in that together, that we can share spiritually together in those things. That we can weep with those who are weeping, says the scripture, and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. That's our goal in city groups, that these would be close relationships that, again, are centered on Jesus, and that we can come and do discipleship and spiritual growth together as friends. And everybody gets this, right? You don't have to be a believer to recognize the need for friendship. And so we want to see new people constantly connecting into our church through city groups, that they would experience what it is to be a part of a community, a growing community, that our city would connect into our church. But notice the Bible doesn't just end with the spiritual sort of sharing. It's, it literally means the physical type of sharing. And I think what the passage here is suggesting is that an evidence that our church is healthy, that our groups are healthy, that we are doing life together the way that Christ intended is when we have the compassion to share physical, material needs with one another. Look a little further ahead. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I love that. This is a vision for what healthy biblical unity should be. That we are being together and sharing everything because we have Christ. And notice here, that spiritual change is what leads to physical and even social change, not the other way around. Because as our hearts are affected deeply by the gospel that says Jesus was so gracious, that he gave up everything for me, he gave up his very life for me, that out of that amazing realization that I say, I want to love others. I want to give up everything that I can so that other people know the same love of Jesus. A couple things here. Notice, first of all, it was always voluntary. It was not required. Uh, Many theologians have abused and torn this passage apart by claiming that this teaches socialism. This is not socialism, just so that we are clear. This is not government mandated. This is experiencing the grace of Jesus and saying, I want to freely, generously, lovingly give This is also not a tithe. This is not a discussion about tithing. This is practical generosity that goes above and beyond somebody giving towards the church. Look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." Not, right, the the goal here is not that we would become financially rich. The goal is that we and others would become rich in the experience of God's grace and mercy. Notice, too, it's not about what you can get out of church. It's about what you can give to the church, the people of God, the body of Christ. Because we know, again, the Savior who gave everything to save us. Number three, 
we must be, says the Scripture, devoted to breaking bread with glad and sincere hearts. Look again in verse 42, they devoted themselves, the third thing, to the breaking of bread. Pick up where it describes it further, verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now you may be saying, why do we need an additional category here? Is this not fellowship? Well, yes, it is absolutely fellowship, and we can debate later exactly how we should construct the five categories, but what you're seeing here is that Luke, the author of the Scripture here, wants to emphasize and reinforce the importance of relationships, that they are necessary, but there is also something very special about gathering around the table with other people. Table fellowship is what the Scripture has in mind here. It may also be referencing the Lord's Supper that believers are together and celebrating, remembering Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, but it is a picture of being together around the table in homes. Uh, This week on Wednesday, we happened to host in our home uh, all of our youth, our 30-plus youth and leaders, and it was a great time to be around tables together of course, around pizza, because what else would we eat? And around the book of Romans, and we had a wonderful time together. And then on Thursday, um, we had two families over for dinner, and we had a wonderful time just with families from our church and not from our church, just eating and breaking bread together. And then on Friday, we went over to the Bay's house, and we had an awesome time, and of course, had hot dogs, which is the best ever, and enjoyed table fellowship together. And the beauty of that time for all of us is this, that we're face-to-face, that we are experiencing the joy of hospitality. There is a joy in serving people. There's a joy in feeding people. There's a joy in looking people eye-to-eye, being toe-to-toe, and being able to share what's going on in your life. What's God teaching you? There is a profound joy in listening to your children scream bloody murder and run laps around the house as you table fellowship. It is a joy. It's a wonderful thing, and that is what the Scripture is calling us to here. He says joy, the joy of glad and sincere hearts. And we know that this is what Jesus has in mind because this is what Jesus did. Right? We have multiple scenes where Jesus pulls together his 12 disciples, and they eat, and they sit around a table, and Jesus is spending time with them, teaching them, and hearing from them. We have multiple scenes in Scripture where Jesus gathers together, quote, the tax collectors and sinners, People that were unlikely to get Jesus' attention, but that's because people didn't understand who Jesus was, his love and his care for all people, and that he gathers them together in table fellowship. In the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, very simple psalm, but it's a profound idea, Psalm 133, 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. This particular passage was highlighted to me by a man named Ron Shaw, who is the principal at Southwest Junior High up the street, a man who in his leadership role at one of our schools is not unclear about how much he loves Jesus. Not unclear. I love this man's faith, and I love listening to him, and I love listening to him teach. Uh, Last year, he was sharing with me specifically about this verse, because Ron can't help but preach when you're around him. He is a pastor at heart in many ways. And he was sharing with me this verse, and he was saying, you know, there's a lot of things in this life that are good for you but they're not particularly pleasant. Conversely, there's a whole lot of things that are very pleasant in this life. We can enjoy them, but they're really not actually good for you. And what should jump off the page here is the Bible is saying there is a thing that is both good and pleasant for you, and that is to be together with God's people in unity around Jesus. What a profound thought for us that God is calling us to be together. Number four, The scripture, again, is very clear. It says we must be devoted to praying 
and praising. Could we break this into two separate categories? Sure. They're both great. But notice here what the Scripture is doing. He leads with praying, and then he ties in praising. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 46 and 47, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. The Greek word behind prayer here is prosukes. It shows up 85 times in the New Testament. Something we should think about. The Bible makes it clear that this is important and that in community that we can seek God's leading and direction through prayer. Because as you are well aware, or if you're not, let me remind you, as believers, we do not follow our intuition. We do not follow simply uh, our hearts or our feelings. We follow the Word of God. And we can hear from God when we pray. We can bring to Him our concerns, our questions, and when we're thinking about this community thing in particular, the most powerful thing that you can do to help your brother or sister in Christ, the most powerful thing that you can do to help somebody who doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior is to pray, is to ask for God to do what only He can do. That doesn't mean that we stand back and go, oh, I'm only going to pray and not get involved. But rather than thinking, I am the Savior, prayer is one of those beautiful things that reminds us that Jesus is the Savior. Let me look to Him. Let me ask for His wisdom and ask for His power. So in our city groups, when we get together, we don't want prayer to just be a throwaway moment at the end of our hour and a half or two hours together where we say, Jesus, thank you for the food. It's been great. Amen. But that we would take substantial time, whether it be together, men and women together, or sometimes maybe break up and and men go and pray and women go and pray, but that we would take time, share prayer requests, and actually pray. Take time together and talk to God and ask for His power and His grace and His blessing and literally unleash heaven because He is the one with all of the power. Notice here again, though, that there is praying and that there is praising and that the Bible says it's happening daily. Each day they're at the temple together, devoted, persisting together in personal worship, corporate worship. The worship extends, though. I think what what we should see here, it extends beyond just the sacred space of Sunday morning. The Bible never cast shade on Sunday morning, never cast shade on worshiping together corporately. It says it's not that important. No, no, no. What it does is it says gathering together every Sunday to worship is incredibly important. Believers began doing it. As soon as Jesus is resurrected from the dead, believers begin gathering Sunday morning for corporate worship. But what the Bible does is it also elevates the other six days of the week and says don't miss out on an opportunity to talk to me in prayer and in praise, and that it can be both together and that it can be just you and the Lord. And we want to grow together in our city groups and make that a once a week time as well. You guys, you decide Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, whatever you want it to be, but that we're gathering together and we're praying and we're praising together that it would be a perpetual part of, of who we are as believers. Fifth and finally, we must be devoted to the Lord reaching others with salvation. We must be devoted to the Lord reaching others with salvation. It is interesting how the Word of God here words the ending of this passage. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's an important phrase there, the favor of all the people, 
and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, the favor of all the people, what we should see here is that people who don't know Jesus are listening to the words and seeing the lives of people who do know Jesus. They're not perfect, right? But their testimony, their word, their witness is making those people who are on the outside looking in go, I want what they have. And those believers are joyfully telling them, what I have is a free gift. It's salvation in Jesus Christ. They brought me from death to life. There's nothing that I could do to earn it, and you can have it too. That is what is taking place here. Notice that this growing community of believers is not an isolated social club. As believers, as the church globally, as New City Church, you've heard me say it before and I'll say it a whole bunch, we are not a cruise ship. New City Church is not a cruise ship. We are an aircraft carrier. What do I mean? We do not exist for our entertainment, right? That's the point of a cruise ship, entertainment. We do not exist for our entertainment. We exist for His mission. And that is what we are doing as a church. Notice here too, the word daily in this passage, it only shows up twice. Where does it show up? It shows up that they praised daily and that God saved daily. So a growing community, in other words, is going to grow when it's healthy, in, in two directions, towards God and towards our neighbor. How do I know? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 22 when quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6? Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus quotes the Old Testament, and it says that he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, that we would grow in our relationship towards the Lord. And a second, verse 39, is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us this. The English theologian John Stott summarizes the commitments of Acts chapter 2 this way. I like how he sort of organizes it. He says we should be a learning church, a loving church, a worshiping church, and an evangelizing church. Learning, loving, worshiping, evangelizing. In Acts, we never see a church that has turned so inward that they forget about those who are outside. And the Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So throughout Acts, we see exponential growth of the kingdom of God, mass conversions. Literally in Acts, it says that in one moment after the preaching of the word of God, that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. Why? Because God is loving because God is powerful, and because God is sovereign over salvation. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, it is the Lord who calls people to faith. And in Acts chapter 2, now verse 47, it is the Lord who adds people to this faith community. I can't save anyone. Right? That is not my job. I am not the Savior. I cannot make them believe. And yet, we are, I am, called to share the good news of the gospel with anyone who will listen and watch God bring them from death to life because only God has the power of life. Let me put this another way. This is helpful for us to think about. I am not responsible for outcomes. God has not given me that ability, but there is one who is responsible 
for outcomes. Who has that ability? I am not capable of outcomes. Jesus is capable of outcomes. And yet, nevertheless, the story throughout Acts is the story of believers being evangelists, sharing the good news. Matthew 5.14 says, we want to be a city on a hill. As city groups, we want to be a catalyst for this type of living, that whether it's inviting somebody into our city group, that they might taste and see that the Lord is good, says the book of Psalms, or that in that time together, part of our prayer time is saying, Will you pray for me as I share with my neighbor friend or my coworker or this person in my family or this person I just met? Pray for me, pray for them that the Lord might open their heart and that the Lord might give me the words and the life to be able to share with them this same good news. But that is the goal of our city groups as well, that fifth commitment that we might be spurred on to evangelizing and sharing the good news, knowing that Jesus is the Savior, knowing that God is good, powerful, and sovereign in all of these things, in every area of life. So each week as we've gone through this this series, these values, I've said I want to give you a very specific application. And so as we come to growing community this week, what I want to do is really speak to sort of two groups of people. First of all, all of you. I want to challenge and encourage all of you to really consider joining and being a part of a city group We do not have any at the moment. We intend to launch them August 15th. I would say as a church, maybe the worst way that COVID smacked us in the mouth was that we we lost all the momentum in the city groups that we had that had started prior to this whole last 14 months of, of coronavirus. I don't want us to try and start things right here at the beginning of the summer as people are going their different ways. But I want to challenge all of us to really consider being a part of a group beginning in August for this next year. And one of the ways that we want to help make that happen is that we want to use this summer as people are literally feeling more and more comfortable to come out and be together. We're going to do as many fellowship type events as we can to get to know one another and build relationships so that we walk in this door Sunday morning, we know every single face and we're getting to know one another and build those relationships. So a couple things that you should be aware of. Again, there is the ladies night coming up this Friday. Come and pray with us this Tuesday evening. Uh, July 4th happens to be a Sunday this year, so we're going to do a New City Church picnic right after church on Sunday, July 4th. We'll make church come casual, not that we're super dressed to begin with, but after church we're going to head out and have just an awesome time of fellowship and fun. At the end of July, tentatively July 31st, we're going to have a welcome Davidson and Katie party for the entire church. Uh, If you don't know who Davidson and Katie are, they are, Davidson is our new worship director and discipleship coordinator, and they will be here late July starting to serve in August, and we just want to have a huge welcome party for them. You can get to know them, and we can get to know each other. Guys, I haven't figured out what we're going to do, but there will absolutely be a dudes event as well to compete with ladies' charcuterie night. There will be no charcuterie involved. I promise you that. Um, What I also want to do is just speak to maybe a subset of you as well. If the Lord has at all laid on your heart the idea of leading one of these city groups, maybe you're single, maybe you're married, maybe you want to do it with another couple, or you want to do it just the two of you, the one of you, I would love to have that conversation with you. Some of you I've already spoken with, but I want to continue to have that conversation. If you feel like maybe the Lord is challenging you that this would be a way this year that you could invest in other people, do this teaching and Bible studying and fellowshipping and praying together thing and help lead that, whether you host it or maybe you don't host it, I would love to have that conversation with you. And here's what it's going to look like. We will break bread together, I promise. 
and I will share with you the vision that we have further and answer questions you have, and we'll just have a good conversation about it so that we can determine, is the Lord leading you guys to lead a city group in the, I'll call it fall, but you know what I mean, August 15th, summertime. Um, think about those things. Pray about those things. If you're hearing all this and you're saying, I don't know who Jesus is and this is all new stuff to me, I want to challenge you with this idea. What you need most of all, the relationship that you must have, is one with Jesus. Nothing else matters outside of him. And nothing will make sense until you have him and know him. And Jesus has made it easy. He has said, trust in me. The scripture is clear. All of us are sinners every single one of us. And Jesus has made a way by dying on the cross and rising again from the dead that you can have a restored relationship with God the Father where your sins are forgiven and your eternity in heaven is secured. If you've never experienced that, I would love to talk with you further about that after the service. Anyone in here, I'm pretty sure, would love to talk with you about that after the service. Let's take a moment and let's pray together now to our good and loving Father.